as I started to have, you know, big shifts and awakenings in, in my sort of whole paradigm of living, I started to think, hey, wait a second, this should work for sex too. If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multi-Amory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about mindful sex and how mind-blowing it can be. Oh, there's a cool play on words there. And we're doing that with Jessica Graham. You got so caught up in your play on words that you forgot I who did. we're even talking I to. I did. I'm we're like... talking with, with Jessica Graham today. Jessica is a meditation and mindfulness teacher and coach in Los Angeles who leads classes, workshops, and retreats. She also works with individuals and couples in the realms of spiritual, sexual, and creative awakening. And her book, Good Sex, Getting Off Without Checking Out, will be available one week from today from North Atlantic Books and everywhere the books are sold. And we're really excited to have her on the show. Let's get to it. And here we are with Jessica. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, your book was magnificent, by the way. I really, really enjoyed reading it. I read my uh, section in, like, I think the first five chapters in one sitting. It was great. Um, it, it, but something you touch on immediately is that meditation um, is a way to awaken your most fulfilled sexual being. And that's something that I never really thought of before, but it makes so much sense. Um, it, it, you speak about it a lot in the book, but can you talk a little bit about your journey so that our listeners can have a preview of that? Sure. Well, th thanks for having me. It's good to be here with you guys. Um, and thanks for reading it. Um, so, yeah, so I was always a really sexual person. It was always, it always had a high priority in my life. Um, but what I didn't realize is that I was um, very limited in how I was able to express sexually and connect sexually. Um, really connect at all, but certainly sexually. And when I started meditating about whatever that was 10 years ago, um, and I started meditating regularly uh, on a daily basis, I started to um, taste the food that I was eating and smell the air that I was breathing and feel the sensations in my body and notice the thoughts. And I started to have this um, full sound and color experience, whereas before I was really living from basically the neck up, just, just thinking, mm. thinking, thinking, um, and quite miserable and suffering a lot as a result. And so as I sort of settled into this new way of sort of being with myself, being with the world, and as I started to have, you know, big shifts and awakenings in in my sort of whole paradigm of living i started to think hey wait a second this should work for sex too and um at that point in my life i th there was not a lot of sexuality going on i had intentionally decided um to be to really commit <laughs> and um to you know physically commit and also to emotionally commit and not to um engaged with anyone else in that way. And it was a very sort of 
specific plan and I felt like I needed to do it. And, and I'm glad that I did because it really, um, it was actually quite healing for me, but it wasn't my sort of natural, um, proclivity. Like that's not really how, how I operate. Um, and the partner I had was not really interested in having very much sex with me, Mm. let alone sex that was, um, spiritual or Mm. that was even just that was more connected. Um, and, I, you know, I have a lot of compassion for that, especially now that I, that I teach around this topic because I see just how much, um, how, 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 how much hurt there is in sexuality for so many people. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But at that time I, you know, I didn't really have any way to test it out. And so I basically started just working on my sexuality, like with myself in sort of a inquiry based way, just sort of like exploring you know, who am I as a sexual creature and, and what does that look like? And, and, you know, pretty quickly I grew out of that relationship and ended up in, in another one shortly after that was like day and night as far as sexuality goes. Like I'd never had an experience where, you know, I just stared into my partner's eyes and, mm-hmm. you know, we, we basically had like a spiritual experience during sex, mm-hmm. but it was a direct result of other parts of me waking up and, and that's the thing with waking up. It's like it will spread <laughs> to, to all different parts of your life. And if if you try to block it, um, then you end up really suffering. And that's part of what this book's about, is about like why are we going to leave that stone unturned in spirituality? Because all that all that's doing is causing suffering. Mm. I, I Yeah, I kind of want to pick up on that and take a little side path here to talk about the fact that I think that it's it's like culturally there's one corner where meditation and mindfulness lives and then sex lives in the opposite corner and the only way we could bring spirituality to or mindfulness to that is like through tantra you know that's where mm-hmm. all our minds immediately go is yeah. okay well we'll save that for the tantra manuals and I think that's what I love so much about your book is you know you do touch on tantra techniques a little bit but I want our listeners to get clear that this isn't just a Tantra manual um, that, yeah. that is actually making mindfulness during sex and around sexuality much more accessible, even if you don't want to, you know, start doing the whole yoni lingam chakra balancing um, like kind of lingam. thing. I don't like that word lingam. Oh, <laughs> I don't like either word. I don't like either honestly. of them, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I would never say, uh, call my vagina a Yanni, but, um, the lingam, I mean, lingam just makes me like, <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, baby, take, take that lingam. He's like, don't bring like. that lingam near me. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm sure some people do use those words and no, that's okay too, but yeah. Okay, exactly. No, that's, that's right. Like I have a lot, I have a lot of, I have a lot of friends and colleagues in that world and I, I will openly say this to them. Like, I don't like that word. But at the same time, they're, you know, Tantra, Tantric sex, as it's known, as it's known in the West, is a really wonderful, um, powerful way to connect. Mm -hmm. But it does require, um, drinking a certain amount of Mm Kool-Aid. And what, and, and so does orgasmic meditation. Now, I love one, the One Taste organization. I love what they're doing. Nicole Daydone is just, I, I had the pleasure of spending a little bit of time with her recently, and she's such a powerhouse. She is, she's really a spiritual teacher, and, um, and I love what she's doing. Um, but again, orgasmic meditation, that's its own thing, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a specific technique. And what I wanted to do is create something that didn't, it, it's not a thing. It's just like, here's some invitations and suggestions and things you can try. See how it works for you. Mm-hmm. 
um, and build upon that. Like I, I, this book is an invitation, you know, to 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 start exploring. Right. Yeah, it's it's. I think kind of what we're getting at is that the approach in your book is kind of um, belief and spirituality agnostic. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have sure. to take anything on faith. It's just kind of a practical mindfulness thing rather than mm-hmm. being connected to any sort of spirit or other stuff, or right? Believing that you're doing something with energy or... Yeah. Right, that yeah. this is much more yeah. kind of practical and then whatever you believe can go with it. It does. You don't exactly. have to kind of drink the Kool-Aid, I guess, is, is yeah. what you're getting at. Yeah. That's exactly right, and I'm glad that that's. I'm glad that that comes across because that was that was really really important to me. Uh, um, there's a book called I think I have it next to me. Maybe I don't. There's a book called Waking Up by Dan Sam, Harris. Sam, Sam Harris. Harris. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Good one. Good one. And he did ten percent happier too, right? Did he? Yeah. That was. I think that was Dan. Yeah, I think yeah. that was somebody. Okay, somebody got else. it. Sorry, I don't know. But so, Sam Harris, yeah, of waking yeah. up is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he's coming from like a straight up atheist perspective, mm-hmm. and then yes. he started having spiritual experiences, and he's like, "Well, I don't know what else to call this." Mm-hmm. And that was definitely that's definitely been me. Like, I was never um, like when I was little, I was really into meditation, and um, and I would always would kind of go towards spirituality when things were really hard, but I I sort of rejected the whole thing in a, in a way, and certainly rejected any religion. And um, but then I started having experiences, mm-hmm. and I couldn't like be like I had to just go on my experiences. And so mm-hmm. again, that's this book is is my you know my experiences and the experiences of people I've worked with. Yeah, yeah. got it. So going way back, um, <laughs> just to something that you touched on briefly in your first explanation, um, is we just had an episode maybe about a month ago on sexual incompatibilities um, and then changes in sexual desire over time in relationships. Can you speak to reasoning why you think desire in a relationship can drop over time? And then uh, to piggyback on that, what specific exercises would you employ for partners who are having a challenging time within their sexual relationships. Sure. Um, So I think most long-term relationships are going to experience that. I think it's very, very Mm -hmm. few that don't. And usually they're going to experience it anywhere from, you know, eight months to three years in, you know, the chemicals are going to change and, you know, I'm not a, not a scientist, but I do know that the chemicals change and they go from the, we must make a baby chemical to the, um, to the, we need to make a nest chemical mm-hmm. <laughs> and we need to make a nest just isn't as sexy as we need to make a baby. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the thing is, this happens, you know, in same sex relationships as well. So, I mean, it's, again, I don't know all the science around it, but I do know that that happens, that that's a natural thing that happens. Um, and it's often why you see some folks that just, and myself included for a long time, I just jumped from one long-term to another long-term, but the long-term was only like a year or two, you know, Mm -hmm. and then it would, like things would change. I wouldn't feel that thing anymore. And there'd be resentments and there'd be lack of communication. And then I'd be like, all right, I'm out, I'm out of here. Um, and, you know, and then you never actually get to work through the stuff that you're talking about. The actual, like, well, what do you do when those changes start happening? Yeah, yeah. Um, and my philosophy around this is that, 
your sexuality, both your sexuality with yourself and in a relationship are, are a relationship and they need to, the, the sexuality, sexual connection needs to be fed just like any other relationship. Like, you know, one me and my, my friend Stella, if we never talk, then we're not going to have much of a relationship. We need to put energy into it to have a relationship. And it's the same thing with sex because I mean, I know for, even for myself, like I recently went through, or I'm still kind of going through just a stretch of not a lot of attention on my sexuality, which is funny with the book coming mm-hmm. out. Yeah. <laughs> but when I don't have a lot, when I have my attention elsewhere and I'm not consciously giving attention to my sexuality, then it just starts to fade a bit. Mm-hmm. But all it will take is some attention. So if you're in a, a you know pretty healthy relationship and there's a lot of communication and honesty, then it's just about doing some work. It's about taking the time, doing the the thing that everyone hates, but planning to have sex, having the plan. Um, uh, you know, getting some new sheets for the bed that feel sexier on your body. You know, being aware of what art you have up in your bedroom. Um, you know, watching some ethical porn together, writing each other sexy texts throughout the day to just like keep it alive, right? And then um, bringing more play into sex because sometimes what can happen when we're sort of on a dry spell is the play can start to go, and so just mm. let it be funny, let it be awkward. <laughs> But usually people that have a, a relationship where the communication is really going well and there's not a lot of resentment are not usually having so much of this problem. Mm. Um, I think that what happens over time is we don't say what we need, we don't say what we want, and so we don't get what we need and we want. Right. And I can't tell you how many couples I've, I've spoken to where they actually want the same thing but neither of them are willing to come out and say, this is what I'm wanting. Whether it's, you know, whether it's a, a certain type of sex or whether it's just like wanting, you know, the other one to shave their facial hair a certain way, like whatever, yeah. you know what I mean? Like we are particular little creatures, us humans. And, um, you know, we have our, we have our things. And I think because as a culture, we're not comfortable talking about a set about sex, in relationships, there's not comfort talking about it either. And you can be with someone for 10 years and they still don't know what, what turns you on because you're not telling them. (laughs) So communication, I mean, you know, there's lots of tricks to sort of charge up the sexuality, but if the communication and trust and sort of basic level of sort of respect for each other isn't there, then it, it doesn't matter how many sexy texts you send. Mm, right. That's right. great. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, just <laughs> quickly to go on that too, that, that sending sexy texts without having communicated beforehand, that this is something you're going to do. Can I kind of have the opposite effect where it's just like, <laughs> right. sure. like I, this, if, if you're not in the space Why? to receive yeah. it, it's like, where is this coming from? Right. Like, please. Sure. Yeah. But then <laughs> comes the, then come the tools of nonviolent communication, right? right. I mean, you get that sexy text and you're not feeling anything close to sexy. How you respond to your partner in that moment of vulnerability is going to shape your relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, it doesn't mean you have to consent to something you don't want to, like if you're like, hey, I'm, that's not really where I'm at right now, but the way that it's communicated and the place from which it comes, if it, if it comes from a place of I want to make you feel small, mm-hmm. well then that, it'll have that effect and it'll mm-hmm. be, you know, um, harmful to the relationship. So 
I think that's another piece that's really important when there's a low desire partner that both both people are aware of of how tricky that situation is. Mm -hmm. The person that feels like they're constantly getting rejected and the person that feels like they're constantly getting pressured. Right. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. So I'd like to steer us in a different direction a little bit again. Uh, And this one is uh, about a theme that I noticed that came up a few times in the book is about orgasms and specifically the mental pressure either to have them or not to have them too soon. Uh, and how, and how in both ways that focus on whether or not you're having an orgasm at any given moment itself can cause the problems or, you know, contribute to them or at least contribute to our suffering about them. And this was something that for me in, in college, we had a, you know, like a sexual health center that had a library where you could check books out for free um, that were all sex-based books. Mm-hmm. And I checked out The Multi-Orgasmic Man. And, you know, it's, it's I guess, similar in that it's a little bit Tantra-ish based, mm-hmm. but it's kind of more just a practical sort of thing. Uh, I guess it talks a little bit more about energy and all that. But anyway, I found that for me, that was like had a huge impact on how I looked at my own sexuality and orgasms and sexual pleasure and stuff like that of rather than it being something that you control by checking out of Mm -hmm. and thinking about, you know, baseball Baseball, or, or whatever. (laughs) Uh, But that instead it's about, you know, connecting to it and feeling it more and that it's kind of this counterintuitive thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But anyway, I just wanted to, to say that I appreciated that you brought that up through the book and, um, I was just curious to hear kind of your your thoughts on that and how that has changed your way of approaching sex and what you've seen it do for other people. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think this is one of the areas where Tantra really has, Tantric sex really has something to offer, which is to take the emphasis off of orgasm. Because when we think about it, orgasm, even if you're having a long orgasm, it's still not that long. It's still, you know, it's only so long and then it's going to be over. And, um, and if, if our whole like sex life is built around this thing that lasts for however many seconds, that's, it's kind of a shame we're missing out on a lot. Just, just, just like in life, if all we're focused on is, well, when I get this much money, when right. I, when I own that car, you know, it's like, oh, so I miss out on everything that's awesome right now. Um, so I think I really like that about, about tantric sex that they, that they really take the emphasis way off orgasm. Um, it's one of the most common things that people want to talk to me about is um, generally women who have anxiety around having an orgasm. And more often than not, men who have anxiety around being able to have an orgasm. And you'd mm. think I would get more of the other men, you know, men who are, you know, going to feel like they're going to orgasm too soon. But no, I tend to get emails from men who can't. Mm. And so it's, it's really interesting because I didn't, I, I guess I never even thought about that as a thing until I started doing this work. You know what I mean? I always just thought like, oh, it's women who have the trouble and men can just come whenever they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, I've, I've been educated through educating others. Um, but uh, yeah, it's the, the main key to sort of move through that is to get out of the mind and into the body. Mm-hmm. And 
this is also why a daily practice is so helpful because if you're mm-hmm. practicing daily putting your attention where you want to put it regardless of what else is going on you're starting to train that skill of concentration and then when you're having sex you can take that concentration skill and you can uh, use it to to focus on things other than what's happening in your mind um i i for many years had a lot of anxiety around orgasm and i would have to squeeze everything really tight and um think about um certain fantasies which it's funny because they don't get me off at all now but at the time like it was for years like the same fantasies that's what would get me off and i'd be there with my partner but i'd be totally locked up and thinking about you know a dark alley and like mm. i'm allowed to am i allowed to say whatever i want yeah we have an explicit rating on itunes so you're okay okay i was gonna say uh, thinking about anal sex in a dark alley mm-hmm, like yeah. like while i'm there like with this person that i supposedly love and like nothing wrong with anal sex in a back alley mind <laughs> you but like if that's all that could do it for me then what about everything else all the other colors of my sexuality and so this idea of be having embodied sex um I sort of discovered it before I was meditating, um, but 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 now it's like a regular practice, and it's just like I'm just in the body, and that's mm-hmm. the, that's what I one of the number one things I do with anyone. It's either you know, oftentimes it's um, mindful masturbation, so just getting in your body during masturbation, not doing all the things that you normally would do, going straight to whatever your thing is, but instead just getting to know your body, feeling sexual pleasure, and staying in the body. Mm-hmm. Not trying to quiet the mind, but just right. coming to the body anytime you get caught in it. Right, right, yeah. So something else that, that came up in your book that I really appreciated, um, and I particularly noticed it in the section when you were talking about threesomes, which is a very mm-hmm. common fantasy for people. I feel like everyone who's a millennial, that's like the thing you do these days. Um, like everyone feels the need to check <laughs> that box. Millennials only? <laughs> I don't know about millennials only, but I, I just feel like, I don't know, I feel like people in my generation, it's like everyone wants to check that box, right? Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. The threesome box. More like been there, done that. <laughs> but something that I really appreciated is you put this emphasis on, you know, threesomes are great, but like you don't need to hop at the first opportunity that comes along if it's not the right person you know or Mm -hmm. if everybody's just like sloppy and drunk um Mm -hmm. you know it is okay to wait and actually try to find the best person to have a threesome with and that this comes up in in many other parts of the book is that you know you don't have to hop at the first opportunity to have sex when you're wanting sex you know you don't have to hop at the first opportunity to have a relationship when you want to have a relationship um Mm -hmm. and i guess what i wanted to talk about is that's all fine and good to say, but then for people that I know who, you know, they've been in a dry spell for six months and they're going crazy, or somebody who's very specifically has a, a, you know, a threesome fantasy that they've had their entire life and they're just like so excited to do it and they really, really want to do it, or someone who hasn't been in a relationship for a while and feels really lonely and disconnected and it becomes harder and harder to not want to jump at those opportunities. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I want to talk about like what kind of mindfulness techniques or what have you found that has helped people who are in those situations where it can be so tempting to go after the first opportunity, even if it's not the best choice. So first of all, you know, you're as long as you are consenting adults, you're not going to fuck anything up. Mm. You know, like you're not going to make the big mistake, you know, because being human is making mistakes and having a good life and having a successful life in all the way, in all the ways that that means it it takes making mistakes. And so 
look, I have certainly made my fair share, um, you know, even not that long ago, just like, okay, I'll do that. And then I was like, huh, why did I do that? <laughs> I didn't really want to do that. Like, you know, and it's a, you know, there's a learning curve, right? Like uh, the more, you know, the more we grow and evolve, there's parts of us that, that have to catch up. So it's not the end of the world, first of all. Um, secondly, um, I think, and that's about self-love, right? And I think my other answer is also about self-love. The more that I'm in alignment with, with what's most loving for me, the easier it is to make choices that feel good. Hmm. And so uh, what I suggest to folks who are maybe in that situation, it's like, how can you nurture and generate love for yourself? How can you how can you give yourself what you need instead of feeling like there's a lack that you need to go out and fill? Um, and there's nothing wrong with casual sex. You know, I would also say like if if you want to have casual sex, great, but but do it in a safe, consensual way, and be aware of you, how valuable your time is. We don't have endless time. Like, I've definitely had times where I've, you know, I've gone out and had a date with someone, and then I'm like, huh, that was four hours, and I can think of a lot of things I would have rather done with that four hours. And not that anything's wrong with the person, but, you know, just, like, I have a full life. I have a partner who I really like to spend time with, and I have a very full life, and so... um I think I think just recognizing that you are valuable, you are lovable. Like I think that's the antidote for that feeling of I need to go out and get something because I don't have anything. Mm. Mm. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I, I think that um, with all with I mean with most things in life, approaching it from a sense of need tends to be a lot less empowering than approaching it from I'm fine, but I would like this. Mm. Yeah, there's that exactly that little shift. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's actually a little bit related to the next thing I want to talk about, which is porn. And Mm -hmm. I I just wanted to say, first of all, that I love that in a mindfulness book that you do talk about porn quite a bit and and very frankly, too, (laughs) like very... um, yeah, I guess just very upfront. So thank you for, for having a chapter about that. Um, yeah. I guess uh, well, to start out um, is just that you mentioned earlier already in this interview uh, about ethical porn, about finding ethical porn. And I know that there are um, some other people out there who talk about it, but I think for a lot of people that it kind of doesn't even occur to them mm. uh, because porn is something that we often approach as, as young people that's kind of shameful and something you have to hide. And so mm-hmm. I guess even the thought that this could be something ethical maybe doesn't even occur to people because this is a shady, dark, secret thing. Yep, yep. Uh, so I was wondering if you could just kind of briefly give us a little bit about about that shift to to seeking out ethical porn. Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, what you just said is the whole reason why I wanted this chapter in the book is that most people are watching porn Mm -hmm. and most people are not talking about it. So people that are Buddhist are watching porn, people who are spiritual are watching porn, people, whatever, you're watching porn. (laughs) Uh, It's it's raking in, the, the porn that's being paid for is raking in like billions of dollars, let alone all the porn that most people are watching, which they're not paying for. So... If we're not talking about it, then we're not talking about a huge part of being human. We're not talking about a huge part of our psychology. And 
I've definitely, I'm definitely known to end up getting in a little bit of trouble with some of the stuff I put out there because I'm interested in looking at everything and I'm not interested in looking at it in a black and white way. Mm-hmm. And that includes porn. Um, I had my own sort of personal awakening around porn when I watched um, Hot Girls Wanted. Um, and there has been some controversy around that documentary um, with people in the industry. Um, but for me, it was a it was a real wake up call. Um, it put a fate. It put like a real person to these faces and bodies I had looked mm-hmm. at and and objectified. And it it just it it just changed me the same way that someone watching a PETA video could change them and how they eat. Like it just changed what I was willing to view and um, and how I was going to view it. And basically, the number one thing that people will tell you is uh, people in the industry will tell you if you want your porn to be ethical, number one, pay for it. Hmm. Now that's not to say that there aren't sites that offer free clips, and some of my favorite ones do. But to watch a full, the full thing, to get all the all the goodies, you've got to pay for it. Because if you're watching porn and not paying for it, then there's a very good chance you are not watching ethical porn. And certainly, certainly those performers are not getting anything from your views. Yeah. Um, so that's the number one thing. Um, also, just to do your research. And I list in the book some resources for some different sites that I've researched to the best of my ability. And they, they, they occur, at least at that time, as ethical. Um, but these days, it's not hard to find. You know, you can, go- you can Google ethical porn and find stuff. Um, and another great way to do it is to, like, follow performers on social media. Mm-hmm. And if they're saying, hey, just did this scene with so-and-so and it was so much fun, most likely they didn't have some horrible experience. Most likely they weren't, you know, being treated awfully because, you know, they're willing to, to tweet about it. So that's another kind of way you can look into it. Um, a lot of the sort of girl next door, um, that sort of stuff, a lot of it, it's it's... It's girls that are being brought in and basically being used up in the sense of, okay, they do the girl girl, they do the guy girl, they do the anal sex, they do the BDSM, they do the gangbang, and then they're done. They've gone to all Mm. the places, they've made the money they can make, which is not nearly enough, and then they're more or less washed up and have to do like, you know... Get, maybe maybe get paid maybe do some and get paid not very well or maybe go home and like that's what the that's what's illustrated in that documentary and again it's not black and white I'm not saying that every girl that does a girl next door porn is being exploited or that she feels she's mistreated but there's a lot of that that goes on um, and I guarantee you <laughs> there are plenty of like spiritual people out there who are watching this kind of porn and who are getting off to it and I was one of them mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm not anymore because I changed you know it changed for me and so I'm passionate about talking about it because you know it's two reasons one to end suffering and two um to improve sex- sexual sexuality because mm-hmm. porn is really hot and can be really even healing for people mm-hmm. so yeah. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. That, was, that was great. That was great. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm a little bit on a soapbox about No, I think it is so important. Like you point out that it is something that tends when it is talked about in public, it is in these very black and white terms. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, on social media or in news coverage or anything like that. And it is really important for us to find the the middle path as it were mm-hmm. with with porn yeah. usage and with what kind of porn we are choosing to consume and choosing to support 
Yeah. 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 yeah, absolutely. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping code M-U-L-T-I. Uh, I'm going to change instructions again. This book covers so much stuff that mm-hmm. I feel like our yep. questions are all over the place. So <laughs> thank you for, for flowing with us here. Yeah, totally. Uh, um, so this is about uh, your, you have a, a chapter that's about safe sex being good, you know, good sex is safe sex and also talks about consent. And this is something that, you know, has been near and dear to my heart as someone who, you know, hopes to educate, especially men, uh, and that that's, that consent is a sexy thing, that it's a fun thing. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I love that you address that a little bit in the book. Um, I did want to talk about the, the safe sex thing in terms of the STI testing and stuff like that that you talk about. And mm-hmm. one thing that you mentioned in your book is about just the importance of getting tested for everything. And I did just want to clarify, though, that getting, quote, tested for everything is not as simple as it sounds. Um, and I did want to bring some awareness to this, that when you go to a clinic or when you go to your doctor and you get your normal STI tests, that there's actually a lot of stuff that this doesn't include. Mm-hmm. Most mm-hmm. notably is HSV, is HSV. herpes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's something that doctors don't test for because most of us have it. And... It doesn't actually affect our health very much, so a lot of doctors mm-hmm. won't test you for it. For one, probably to save the cost, but two, because people freak out when they get those results and they find out yep. that eighty percent of us or whatever have at least one form of HSV. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anyway, I did just want to to clarify that. And while that might freak a lot of people out, uh, my hope is to you know through awareness for people to become more comfortable with that so they can have practical conversations that the STI conversation doesn't just go, Hey, I'm tested and I'm clear of everything. You too. Great. Let's have sex, which is how I think we're told it goes when people emphasize Mm -hmm. the importance of safe sex. They only give us that scenario Mm -hmm. instead of the scenario of, Oh, Hey, you know, I have HSV one, but you know, have never had an outbreak, but I did find out that I had that in a test. Or I did have an outbreak, but it's been two years. Mm-hmm. Or 
like you talk about in your book, oh, I had HPV at one point, but it seems to have gone away, and now it's clear on my paps, right? That there's a lot of different ways that conversation can go. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely, yeah. Yeah, thank, yeah, and thank you thank you for saying that. It's impo- it is really important, and, you know, I think my version of get tested for everything is everything, but that doesn't mean that every reader's version of get tested for everything will be everything. And I think the, around the, the herpes virus, I think specifically it's, it is really important to talk about. I know so many people who feel like they don't need to report if they have, um, the oral strand and they don't, they feel like they don't need to say it. Um, and when someone asks me, Hey, do I have to tell so-and-so? And I, and I say, yeah, <laughs> you do. Uh-huh. That's your that's your responsibility. Um, yeah. No, no, I'm pretty. I, I'm pretty. I'm somewhat hardcore about that. And I like like I say in the book. Like I've been getting told by doctors since I was like 15 that I don't need to tell anybody anything because I have nothing, and I still do. <laughs> like I still tell. Well, when I was 14, and so that's me. That's my path. And I'm not saying that everybody has to do what I do. Um, but definitely, if someone asks me for my opinion on it, um, I say, yeah, let let people know. Let people know what's going on. And then, you know, if you're dating someone or having sex with someone who is responsible and is is aware of their body, they'll be aware, like, they're much more likely to be aware if they have a cold sore coming. They'll much be mm-hmm. likely if there's some sort of outbreak coming. Whereas, and that's where, you know, being, you know, not having a bunch of drunken sex at the beginning, mm. you know, really knowing, getting to know each other sober and... What goes on? What's going on for this person? And you know, can I? Do I? Do we trust each other? Are we on the same page? Do they? Do they love themselves? For me, that's a big one. Do you love yourself? Because if you don't, then there's a good chance you could lie. You could say something hurtful. <laughs> you could, you know, inadvertently or inadvertently like hurt me in some way. And so, I'm not interested in that. You know, like I just sorry. I just uh, I just want to call a timeout because I feel like my dating pool is small enough as it is being somebody who's like you know non-monogamous or polyamorous but then to also try to find people who love themselves I feel it's like oh that's uh I mean I 100% agree with you and I like and I I love that you make that observation also because it's so true right at the end of the day that like nothing's going to work in a relationship capacity or a sexual capacity if somebody doesn't have some amount of self-love but it's just like I feel like people not loving themselves is such an epidemic right oh yeah that's mm-hmm. you know, to a certain Definitely. extent that's why some people seek relationships or sex at all because they don't love mm-hmm. themselves yeah Gosh. that's why i did for i did that for yeah. a long long time wow you know and and i think it's at the, i think that that that's at the root of addiction i think it's at the root of all kinds of things you know we get these messages early in life and and as i say in my book you know i had a lot of early childhood trauma and it it wires your brain a certain way you know, and, and I have to tell you, like, you know, a good, what is it, almost 12 years since I've really been doing deep dive. I hadn't started, I started meditating about 10 years ago, but I had started this work about 12 years ago. I mean, I'm still in the process, and I think I will be for my whole life, you know, because I'm a human. But as far mm-hmm. as, like, self-love, like, like you said, some amount, like, all of us, n- none of us are, like, perfect right Mm -hmm. but like there's certain levels of self-love that I feel it's just required for me otherwise I'm too much it's just uneven Mm. because I love myself so much (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so to bring it back to the the importance of you know getting testing and having those conversations that that is something that 
even if people do love themselves and are becoming more mindful about this, that can still bring up a lot of anxiety. And uh, I was actually just um, kind of coaching a friend through this while he was nervously waiting for some test results. And, you know, the best I could tell him is, you know, hey, everyone's got stuff. Don't worry so much about it. It's going to be okay. But I love that in the book you included um, a meditation specifically for STI testing. I thought that was a really cool inclusion. I was wondering if you could just give us sort of a a quick version of that uh, for the people at home. Yeah. Um, so basically, if I'm if I remember correctly, because there's so many meditations in that book, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, the idea is, you know, all of the worrying about what's going to happen is unnecessary suffering and non-functional thinking, because you know you're going to get the test and then you're going to find out, like, and and that's all you really need to think about it, you know, but because we tend to be pretty caught in our minds and look, and the mind tends to want to find a problem and solve it, it will yeah. keep working, o- working it over, working it over. So, um, to take time before the test, during the test and after the test to practice a kind of focus on self where you're noticing thought and you're noticing emotion and you're not getting caught in it and you're you're just observing it as thought and emotion and possibly even greeting it with an attitude of friendliness, of love. Um, if you start with that before the testing, then you can kind of track it all throughout be like, oh, there's a thought. Oh, there's an emotion, there's a thought, and you, and you get, and this is especially helpful if you're already in the habit of doing a practice like this daily, but you can start one anytime. And then also, um, I don't know if this is in there or not, but um, the sort of doing, doing kind of like a focus on positive for yourself, doing a, you know, I am lovable, I am whole, I am unconditionally lovable, I am unconditionally acceptable. Just offering yourself a ton of self-love and compassion and acceptance um, is also really helpful so that you're walking into, you're you're walking through that, um, that experience of getting the test and waiting to find out about the test with a lot of, again, self-love and acceptance and also with a lot of clarity. And then you can take that and take what you've built there right into the conversation. You know, you do that affirmation section right at the beginning of the book. I remember oh, do, that. Do I? Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like telling yourself that you are lovable and you are good and oh god. I love that you also yeah. address that if you read those things and you your immediate reaction is to like scoff or to be like, I'm not gonna say that, like examine <laughs> yeah. that too. Like that's something yeah. to work with, you know, because I yeah. think I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of people's I mean, I always whenever I have people do like a focus on positive in one of my classes, like even this past week, I was like, Okay, now everyone smile. And I'm like, I know you don't want to. And a bunch of people start laughing. And I'm like, but do it anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny because this the book I wrote, you know, I started working on this book over two years ago. And I wrote a draft. And then uh, a, a while ago now, I, I rewrote. Like, I, I another chapter got added and I rewrote some of the chapters. And so I ended up having this extended period. So it's kind of funny. And I'm realizing you guys are helping me realize that I need to, um, 
I need to go back. Even though I reread it during the final editing, I kind of need to like get fresh on on some of it because it's it's a little you know it's a little foggy at times because some of it was so long ago that I wrote it down. No, I feel the well, same no, way. I, well, yeah. because in my final editing process, again, I read it like. 60 times and I was like I don't want to read this ever again and so right. and so since then yeah you know I have clients who's like oh yeah I remember you mentioned this in, a, in your book and I was like heck yes I did <laughs> I totally remember that part <laughs> even when we do an episode it's like I don't remember what oh, I said God, yeah, no, we record an episode but like the, and a week later I'm like I don't know what we talked about yeah <laughs> no idea what it was on even um, so I want to bring us uh specifically to the topic of non-monogamy, which you do address. Um, And at the risk, you know, I'm always nervous about making non-monogamy or polyamory sound like, oh, this is the more enlightened way to be, um, because that can be, you know, just as toxic and destructive and straight up incorrect also, um, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I always try to avoid giving that impression. However, in your book, there was this great phrase that you used. You said you, you called exploring non-monogamy as um, an extraordinary path to awakening for spiritual daredevils. Um, <laughs> and uh, can you just explain that a little bit about what you mean by that? <laughs> sure. So, um, so I've, uh, I've really never been the monogamous type, but I've tried to be. And um, I think if I was... I think if I was younger, <laughs> I probably would have embraced non-monogamy when I, uh, sooner. Like, I mean, I, I didn't really embrace that as a kid, as a teenager, because I didn't really know it was an option. And so instead, I just slept with a lot of people, and I cheated a lot, and I, I just, I, and I, I didn't, didn't know that actually I could, I could date more than one person at a time, and every, it could be honest, and it could be like all up front. So I was always sort of wired that way. But then when I consciously decided, and I'd been in some open relationships that were sort of eh, but um, when I consciously decided to practice non-monogamy, I knew that what I would be facing would be a lot of jealousy. And I knew that jealousy wasn't about my partner having sex with someone else. I knew for me that it was about abandonment and that I didn't get... um, angry and hysterical about in a je- with jealousy because my partner was sleeping with someone else. I got insanely angry and and mm. freaked out because I felt like I was being left alone and I was a little kid. Mm. Um, and and there was there were a lot of different ways that I experienced abandonment as a child and that was all deeply tied in with my jealousy stuff. And so I knew that when I embarked on this journey in a, in a conscious, awake way that I was going to come in contact with that. And the daredevil in me said, spiritual daredevil said, hell yeah. Because I I know that if I, if I go into territory where I'm uncomfortable, where there's unconscious stuff that hasn't been worked out, that I'm going to grow. Mm -hmm. And I'm a lot gentler on myself nowadays than I used to be, but in the past I'd be like, all right, let's go. This is uncomfortable. Let's do it. Um, but it, it really was like, I mean, I went on a, and I, I think I talk about it in the book. I went on like a, a several week, just like crazy town ride where I was just like in and out of lucidity around the jealousy. It's you, it's you, it's you. And I'd be like, no, it's my stuff. Oh yeah, it's me. Like then it's you, it's you. And I'm like, oh no. 
And so doing that, like going into the fire like that is not something that everybody can tolerate. And it's not something that I necessarily think everyone should do. But for me, it was a path to some really big healing and really big awakening. It really changed the way that I am in relationship, monogamy or non-monogamy, because I've been in and out of non-monogamy since then. And I just have a really different way of operating. And so that that was huge for me. And I think also even just the topic and people beginning to be willing to even talk about it or broach the subject of, hey, I'm attracted to this other person. It does so much in a relationship. It just expands the intimacy if both people are capable of holding that. Right. Yeah. I I, I just wanted to bring up quickly because it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately is that that balance between being willing to be a little bit uncomfortable in your life because that's how you grow and that's how you expand but also not mm-hmm. feeling like you have to be so uncomfortable all the time that you're miserable it's like finding that balance yeah. where if you're always focused totally. on being comfortable you're never going to grow and you're going to stagnate and end up frustrated and if you're always mm-hmm. pushing yourself you're just going to be constantly freaking out suffering it's like, yeah it's yeah. finding that I, shall I say the middle path? Uh, I already dropped the middle path. You, you can't copy me. <laughs> but yeah, it's that. I, I, and I just, I, I love that. Well, I, you, you use this term in your book that I actually hadn't come across before and it's spiritual bypassing. Um, mm-hmm. And it's so interesting because it is kind of like the opposite extreme where maybe you're in a relationship and you just kind of feel like you're so connected to yourself and you're so conscious and you're so mindful that you can float above the ground and nothing will bother you, you know, that Mm -hmm. there doesn't have to be any conflict. And I've definitely seen people do this who are exploring some, some kind of new uncomfortable territory, especially non-monogamy of kind of this feeling like if I can just take the high road at all times, then everything will be perfect. And I say that because I, I did it in an entire relationship for many, many years of mm. that anytime something was uncomfortable, I'd be like, I'm just going to go home and meditate for an hour. And then I would feel better. That was, I think that was the problem is yeah. like, I would feel so much better afterwards, Interesting. but, and there was a lot of healing and a lot of growth there in that process. But it also meant that things that were actual, for instance, you know, boundary violations or, you know, not healthy communication, those things slipped under the radar because I kind of felt like, again, you know, I could just spiritually bypass all of this. Um, yeah. So it is such an interesting, tricky balance mm-hmm. to strike and to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big bypasser and I've, <laughs> I've had to work. <laughs> I've had to work hard at just like, you know, staying, staying grounded with everything because, you know, I've certainly been called Spock before. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I work, I definitely like one of my goals, one of my aims is like, how can I be more human? Hmm. That's a great way to put that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're just so enlightened, Jessica. (laughs) (laughs) So perfect. Well, it's like you were, it's like you were saying before that it is a process that's going on and will probably go on for all of your life. I mean, one of my favorite things is just to remember with meditation that it's called a meditation practice and not a meditation accomplishment. Accomplishment. Yeah. 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 And I, and the same goes for any sort of like, I don't really generally use the word enlightenment, but the same goes for enlightenment. The same goes for any kind of awakening. It it is, you practice. That's not not to say you can't, you can be struck in a moment, you know, with a peak state Mm. that shows you, for example, that everything is one or Mm. shows you the emptiness of everything or shows you the, 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 the bliss and the love or shows you that there is no self. And there can be these really sometimes flashy experiences and peak experiences in meditation, but those are just experiences. 
And then there's the practice of integrating what you've, what you've seen, what, what insights have been uncovered into your life. And that's a practice. And you see people kind of somewhat uneven because they only practice in, in one realm. Maybe they practice a lot in spirituality, but, but they don't see that going into their sex life or they don't see that going into their money or whatever it is. And it's, it's a constant practice. And, and I, I think of awakening that way. I don't think that there's like the big, Awakening and then you're done and then you're never <laughs> yeah. gonna have to like do any because it just that hasn't been my experience it hasn't been the experience of anybody I've talked to <laughs> so. right yeah right Great. wow well I could talk about this for many more hours but we can only go on for so long um, thank you so much for answering all of our questions um, can you let our listeners know where they can find more of you more of your work more of your writing and where they can pre-order this book yes. Yes. So, okay. So the book is called Good Sex, Getting Off Without Checking Out. And it's being, it's, it's from um, North Atlantic Books and it's distributed through Penguin Random House. And so you can get it um, on the North Atlantic site, on the Penguin Random House site, um, also on Amazon or through Barnes and Noble. I think it's going to be at like Target and places like that. Um, and they can pre-order can it, right? They can pre-order it. Yeah. Great. Uh-huh. And, um, so there's that and then you can find me um my new site which is it's it's a it's gonna be fully live soon but it's yourwildawakening.com so yourwildawakening um and you can sign up for my mailing list and you can also pre-order my book through there like it'll take you to to the page um but i'm also i'm on instagram it's at jessica clark graham um, and you can find me on, you know, you can find me on all the social media platforms. And we'll link to those in our show notes. So you can check cool. those out to find, to find more about Jessica. So thank you so much. And your book comes out on November 7th. So That's if you're listening to this today, <laughs> yeah, if you're listening to this after the fact, you can already get it. So go get it. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having me. You guys. Definitely. Thank definitely, you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you would like to have your question or comment played on the show, you can call our number at area code 678-MULTI-05. You can also email us at info at send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or leave us a voice message through Facebook. To support our show and join our private Facebook community, go to patreon.com slash multiamory. Multiamory is created and produced by Dedeker Winston, Emily Matlack, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. Full transcript of this episode is available on this episode's page at multiamory.com.